Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G'day, welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. That's me. Hi, you're you. And this is episode 141 of the show with cycling industry heavyweight Steve Beckett. How good is my new theme song? If you were a listener of my podcast that I did with Natalia Perez, you would have recognized the music. Um, but I called up Toe Hider. You can find him on Twitter at Toe Hider, and he's also toehider.com. He does all the music for all the things that I do. He's an extraordinary musician out of Melbourne. And I said, look, mate, can you make me a theme song, uh, like the Let Me Tell You Something theme song, but for this new show, for this show? And we went back and forth with a few versions. I said, you know what? I don't use that theme song anymore. Can you just change the words to Let Me Tell You Something? <laughs> it's got the same amount of syllables. And he said, all right. And away we went. Now, it's interesting how the theme songs for this show, uh, of which Toe Hider has done all of them, um, how they've evolved over the years. Uh, when I started this, it was like pretty much like a metal symphony, which is what I briefed him on. I said, listen, man, I need it to sound like um, there's fireworks going off and uh, two people are playing guitar shoulder blade to shoulder blade while an animatronic dragon descends upon a, uh, an arena full of people in denim jackets and mullets. He said, no problem. So if you go and listen to early episodes, that's what the theme song used to sound like. And then it changed and he, you know, wrote a few mellow versions and a few different versions and... Uh, and now here we are. This is probably the fourth version of the theme song. Hey, Doctor Who used to change the theme song all the time. I don't mind. Uh, let me know what you think. Send us your email at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the theme song on Twitter as well. You can easily do that. This episode is brought to you by everyone at Patreon, patreon.com slash osher. 
These are the fantastic human beings just like yourself who have pledged money each and every month to make sure this show goes to air, helps me do things like pay Toehider and uh, make sure I can give him money for the music he gives me. Also pay Andy who produces this show. Um, without you sponsoring me on this show, there's no way I could make the show. So thank you so much, so, so much. This week radio starts back again. So if you're in Brisbane, you can hear me on the morning at uh, Hit 105, 105.3 on the FM dial is where I am. There's also a podcast there. But we'd really, really love your support there. Um, if you haven't listened to commercial radio in Brisbane for a while, it'll be ace if you could uh, have a listen, tune in, and uh, let me know what you think of the show. And let people know what you think of the podcast if you're into it, uh, you don't mind. Let me tell you about my week. I'm sure your week was all right. I hope your week was good. Just made me kiss the ground and be thankful I'm in Australia. Good Lord. Good Lord. America, my old home, is going through a lot of pain at the moment. Um, not going to lie, it feels safer not to be there. But there was a time when I lived there and that sort of stuff was going on. I think by the time I left, there was another uh, black man getting shot by the cops every week. And I was I couldn't do it anymore. And because nothing had changed, there'd be a mass shooting and a and a and a cop um, shooting a, a, a black person every week, and I'd, I had to go. After a while, it just got it's got too much. So it's it's pretty horrible to to see what's going on and the, the pain they're going through there. It does certainly make our country's election kind of pale in significance as to what actual disruption and unrest looks like. So my my thoughts and prayers, if you are in the states, um, uh, I hope that this hour and a bit can give you some respite from from the pain going on and try to remember that not everything is horrible in the world all at once. Um, let me <laughs> get really selfish for a moment and tell you about my problems. It feels no good. I've just come from a thing, all right? So I'm just, basically I've just walked in from a thing that I did at Saturday night and I went and uh, my buddy Steve, he, he owns a company, a travel company, and they've got a conference on. He said, can you come and surprise all the people at the conference? I said, sure. So uh, I went in there and he said, can you wear a suit? And I went to go put uh, one of the suits I've got on, a uh, suit which was very lovely and uh, and made for me, uh, I mean tailored for me for Bachelor uh, last year. And, uh, yeah, couldn't fit it. And uh, in Steve's words, he goes, was it like Cirque du Soleil when you're trying to pull it on? I said, yes, it was. And, uh, um, if, uh, and this is, you know, because I'm just feeling heaps fat. I've got a busted shoulder. Um, I've been sick the last two weeks, haven't been able to work out. And, um the thing is that if you were fat as a kid, you go through your entire life thinking you're fat, even though you're not, and it's shit ass, because you still feel like you're in a fat body. And um, thankfully, Audrey still has sex with me, which is nice. Um, but I, you know, some days I just feel absolutely horrible. I'm sure you, you know, are looking at me and going, uh, "You're kind of crazy," um, as is evidenced by the, this show. I've, believe I've been fairly open uh, with that diagnosis with you. Uh, yeah, and I'm absolutely body dysmorphic without a shadow of a doubt. I, I know I am. And so I, I try as hard as I can to just say thanks for those thoughts. I appreciate that, but I'm just kind of moving on. But yeah, so feeling kind of ordinary and um, really thinking I might have to finally, finally look into how much I eat because I just eat. And I notice because I eat with people at uh, – at work, we have, uh, you know, big television productions have catering because everyone's at work on site all day and you need to eat. And I notice like I go back for seconds and thirds, um, which is a thing I've done since I was a kid. Um, I might actually finally have to look at the eating thing. I've got the drinking sorted out, um, which I do a day at a time, but I might have to start on the eating thing because, yeah, it's a compulsive behaviour. I don't lie. I mean, I, you, I do it to escape a feeling at the 
you know, if I'm feeling horrible, I'll put something in my mouth. That's and something I can chew. Thank you very much, you filthy person. Um, so I think I might have to f- sort that out because I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I was in Weight Watchers when I was eight. What's that? Thirty-four years ago. Yeah, I think I'm done. I might have to uh, finally sort this shit out. Um, so uh, in that, saying that, I've uh, set myself two gigantic uh, things that I cannot get out of in case one of them I'm able to get out of. I've set two. Uh, in September, I've, I've been very, very excited uh, to have been, um, very honoured to have been invited to participate in the uh, Amy's Grand Fondo down at the Great Ocean Road. It's a 120-kilometre cycle race. Uh so I'm looking forward to that, and then in October, um, there's one in Barrel that I'm doing. It's a it's a uh, a century, but a hundred miles, which is 160 kilometers. So I've said yes to both of those things. So I have no choice but to get on the bike. Gonna have to do it. It's gonna be great because I feel great when I ride. I feel worse when I don't, but then I feel so bad I don't ride. It makes no sense. I know. I know, all right? Trust me, I have these conversations with myself as well. But now I've got these two incentives that I absolutely have to do. Uh, But I'm looking forward to a lot more time on the bike, a lot more time on the bike, because I'm always happy when I'm on the bike. And um, a lot of that will be on my indoor trainer. There is the truth in that, Uh, which leads me to tell you about how I met my guest today, Steve Beckett. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter, Steve Beckett. There's two T's in Beckett. Uh, Steve's a marketing and um, product growth, I guess, executive at Zwift.com, Z-W-I-F-T.com. If you want to, I'll explain what it is, but if you just go to that website and have a look, there's a video which explains what it is. Um, But basically, uh, my bicycle has um, a cadence sensor on it, as, you know, most modern bicycles do. They're fairly inexpensive. Um, To tell you how quickly you're pedaling your pedals, I also wear a heart rate strap, which you probably have worn, something like that at the gym, so to find out how you know, much heart work you're doing, your heart beating. Um, and I also have a trainer, which is basically you take the wheel off the back of your bicycle and you put it on this um, uh, kind of tripod that has a, uh, uh, for want of a better word, a gyro in it. Um, it's like a, a, a resistance, uh, magnetic resistance um, motor. And you so put your chain around that cogwheel and, and as you pedal, that thing gives you resistance and it's electronically controlled. So you can control it from your phone or from your, your laptop. So as you push harder, it's harder to pedal, much like the one at the gym, right? So what happened is the team at Zwift, what they did is they went, okay, so we've got all these sensors that send Bluetooth data anyway, because when you ride, you ride with a little head unit, like a, a Garmin head unit that's a GPS. So it's telling you how fast you're going and how hard your heart's working and how fast you're pedaling and how much power you're putting out. So it's All these telemetry is happening in the air anyway. So basically what they did is going, well, let's just capture that, all that data, and let's map it to an avatar on the screen and put that avatar in a 3D cycling world. So now, if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen by now quite a few posts of a a little computer version of me riding on computer hills. But it's basically a massive multiplayer online game where... Computer me, virtual me, is riding up and down mountains in a virtual world. Uh, and as I pedal up the mountains on the screen, my trainer gets harder. So as I pedal up these mountains, and, and there are people all around the world riding on the road at the same time as I am. And it's real sweat. It's really hard work. And it's really good because 
if you only have an hour and any cyclist would, if you've ever been skiing or water skiing or anything that requires, like running is brilliant and I miss it so much because you just pull your shoes on and go. But anything else, there's a lot of, I've got to take this and take that and don't forget these and bring the goggles and da-da-da-da-da. bring so much shit with you when you do stuff, right? So cycling is the same. If you've only got an hour, by the time you get out the door, you've got 15 minutes is gone. And then you've got half an hour because it's going to take 15 minutes to get everything off at the end. So if you've only got an hour, getting on the bike and just smashing it out, you can smash 45 minutes out. It's freaking awesome. Um, and I would recommend it highly. I started it on a on a dumb trainer, and I was just adjusting the um, resistance myself. Resistance myself. So as I'm going up mountains, and it says it's a ten percent grade, I put the trainer onto ten and go up a that's ten percent. So like uh, for every meter, you ten meters, you go forward, you go up one meter. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, cool. Anyway, Steve's a fascinating guy, and because the Tour de France is on right now, this is a perfect perfect time to get this episode out because if you watch any of the Tour de France, you'll see that there's a team, a cycle racing team called Team Sky. Now, Steve was instrumental. In fact, he was on the ground floor. In fact, he was there before Team Sky even existed. Um, and so he tells a fantastic story about the formation of Team Sky and how um, they were able to as a brand, Sky Television, it's like Foxtel in Australia or, or Time Warner in the States, how as a television brand, they were able to associate with a sport that has a legacy and there's a year-round kind of thing and has international, it's a fascinating marketing story, basically. So if you've got nothing to do with cycling, but you're interested in business, this is the story for you. Because what's also amazing is how they enrolled, the amount of money they asked the board for is astronomical, but how they enrolled the board that started like a year out. They're very, very clever. I'll leave Steve to tell you the story, but it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's uh, If you haven't ridden a bike in a long time and you remember how good it feels to ride on a bicycle, this is a great story about how uh, tech evolution in one sector can make a transformative leap ahead in the other as well. But if you haven't ridden a bike in a long time, this I warn you, this might make you get on the pedals again. And if you do wear a helmet, as someone who's come off his bike a bunch of times, you trust me on that one. All right. You can follow Steve if you like what you listen to. Uh, you can ping him at, on Twitter, Steve Beckett, B-E-C-K-E-T-T. -E and uh, if you have a trainer, get on Zwift.com, Z-W-I-F-T. I'll be on there pretty much every day. Enjoy this chat with Steve. Tea. Have a sip. Thank you. Pacific Ocean. A bit of UK in your living room. <laughs> I was actually born I love, there. Love a cup of tea. Yeah, it's four o'clock. You know, it's tea time, isn't it? I drink tea through the day quite a lot, actually, and in the evening. And funny enough, it, I, it, I go to I go to bed on like, even on like four or five cups of tea. Wow. So some people say it's got a lot of caffeine in it, but I don't. It does. I don't really uh, feel it from tea. Maybe your adrenal glands are just given up. I don't know. Coffee certainly makes me a bit twitchy. but I think I find on tea, if I've got a long day, I find the parabola of drinking lots of tea far more manageable than when I'm drinking lots of coffee. Because yeah. lots of coffee is spikes and crashes, whereas tea is an undulating wave of awake and... Yeah. A asleep. It's a bit more soothing, yeah. Um, Might have just a little lift rather than a kapow. Coffee 
coffee makes me uh, lose concentration. Really? Yeah. Boy. And you were, you were in Brisbane this morning? Yeah, yeah. I was up at five. Out on the River Loop. Brilliant. I love it. Brisbane's a fantastic city. Yeah. It's my um, hometown. I guess it's a bit different to other cities in Australia because it doesn't have the beach. But um, it makes up in other areas. It's quite undulating. So you've got lots of good views. It's like lots of Australia, it's very out, outdoorsy. People are up and about. But I think it's... Compared to Sydney, it's just a lot more easier to get around. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, it seems it seems to have it seems to have the balance checked nicely. Actually, which way did you go on the river loop? You know, I don't know. I think we went. Was the water on your left? My water, yeah, the water on the left on the way out. No, it's, left, a, it's always on the left. Left yeah. on the yeah, whole yeah, way. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you went that yeah. way. Okay. Yeah. So for folks who are listening, the River Loop is uh, it's about 50, 40 50, 40 k, and it's basically crossing the river at um, the Goodwill Bridge, uh, that's the pedestrian bridge by Southbank, and going all the way down uh, to the Indrapilly Bridge, crossing over there, which is right near my where I used to live, the oh, Indrapilly okay. Bridge, and then going all the way up the other side through Rockley and all that kind of it's stuff. It's good. I mean, I see it on Strava a lot because I've got a lot of mates in uh, Australia who ride bikes as well. And like thinking, like, how, how interesting is actually ride alongside a river? Yeah. But it was really good. It's lovely. Did you really. do Mount Cooth? They call it a mountain, but it's not. Mount Cooth, no, we didn't. No, but that's like, I saw it, though. Yeah. We spoke about it. It's the only hill they have there. Yeah, there's a 10K loop around it, apparently. Yeah. It's, quite, it's quite fun. Next time. Yeah. And it's, I'm uh, definitely going to go back there. No, yeah. that's right. That's right. Now... Folks who follow me on Instagram would wonder why every day or so I post a photo of a computer-generated avatar riding up a virtual mountain, getting all excited. (laughs) (laughs) They want to know what the hell am I doing? And I tell them I'm on a thing called Zwift. And you uh, work for Zwift. You are the the VP of marketing and customer acquisition. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a lofty job title, but there's not many of us. No? So, uh, Vice President, I mean, come on. Hey, VP, it's a, yeah. how did you get involved with the company? Um, you know what? I think it was, um, I think it was LinkedIn. Like, I, I, don't, I don't go on LinkedIn, but like everyone else is a profile there. And uh, the guy who founded, one of the guys who founded Swift, and we'll probably talk about him a bit later, he, he wanted someone to um, really help market the products to build demand for it, you know, because it's all about acquiring users if you want to be a successful business. Um, and he, he wanted someone, for some, whatever reason, he wanted someone who worked at Sky. And I, I, I'd worked at Sky, and I went to Sky to work in marketing and advertising. And for, for whatever reason, I ended up running their cycling project, which I, couldn't, I could never have uh, dreamed of, really. And... and um, I did that for a few years and I left Sky just because, uh, pardon the pun, there's a lot of like, there's big tailwind in cycling. And it's not just pro cycling, right? It's about healthy living, environmental thinking, town planning. And then in the UK especially, you know, with, with all the guys winning medals at the Olympics, all these things combined uh, to create this kind of golden era of cycling. In many ways, a bit like running in the 80s. You know, my, my dad was a runner when I grew up and... Everyone thought he was crazy, you know, going out for a, a jog. And, and then sooner or later, 
in in a few years' time, everyone was running, and I think uh, cycling's similar now, and it's very sustainable. People will continue to ride. It's not yeah. you know if if professional cycling just fell over tomorrow, people would still ride bikes. And that's really good because you know we're in Sydney, and it's 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 a horrendous city to get round. You know, there's no public transport here. I mean, we were talking about LA a few moments ago, where you used to live and where Zwift's head office is. You just spend all the time in a car. So, you know, one of the great things about the company, the people in the company and, and Zwift as a company about cycling is it, the community covers all aspects of cycling and it's very egalitarian. You know, if you like riding a bike, it's, it's more than just smashing up a hill and beating someone and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But yeah, going back to your question... I used to work at Sky, so I kind of fit the bill. So Eric, Eric um, Min uh, said, come on, let's have a meeting. And there's only two times ever that I thought I've got to have this job. When, when I first went to Sky and then when I, when I met Eric, because like it's content marketing, which I used to do, cycling, which I used to do, and it's a subscription business that I used to do. And uh, you've got to be careful when your passion's your job. You know, and um, my wife's been through through a lot because you just can't switch off. It's very hard to be disciplined, you know. So um, you just run around like with a dog with a waggy tail. But uh, you know, I've, after four years working in cycling, I've managed that now. And it, to me now, it's more objective. It's about you know, having been recently married, it's about a job as a means to an end. You know, yeah. houses and yeah. right, potentially raising a family and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So I think that. That phase in my life has meant that I can look at this a lot more objectively. Yeah. Okay, so there's there's a lot that I want to talk to you about, uh, but it's always good for folks to kind of understand where everybody comes from. So what, what part of the world did you grow up in? I come from a town in the UK called Grimsby, and I read online two weeks ago in a very reputable uh, news outlet, probably The Guardian, that it's the worst town to live in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> and the clue's in the name, right? Yeah, and there was actually there was a Hollywood film. Yeah, Sacha Baron Cohen. Yeah, movie. yeah, and everyone was up in arms, like it's terrible. But I, I think um, any anything that shines a light on your hometown can only be a good thing. And what's why um, is it so horrible? Well, it's got a very unenviable reputation as uh, of smelling of fish because it used to be a fishing town, and in many ways, like it's in the nineties. I don't know if it's like that in in. I don't know if it's like this in Australia, but there's a load of deregulation around universities, which meant loads of people could go to university all of a sudden. Me being one of them. I don't think I'd ever go to university. I'm not particularly academic, but I went. I ended up went to went to university, and a lot of towns, specifically in the north of England, kids went to university and never came back. So it creates a bit of a brain drain in the local economy. Mm. So um, yeah, and it's just a, a northern industrial town, but you know it's where I'm from, and I'm proud to be from Grimsby. And if anyone asks me, I'm always always say that. Yeah. Is that where you rode your first bike? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I rode my, rode my first bike um, uh, oh, as a kid, yeah, under, under 10 and then in my teens and just mucking around on the street and yeah. jumping over ramps, breaking bones. Who didn't? This, Who didn't yeah. jump over? I mean, the, the, of all the bikes to become popular when you were a kid, BMX was the stupidest bike to become popular because the only photos you ever saw of BMX riders were them in the air. Yeah, they weren't yeah. on the ground. It's like, yeah, let's build jumps. No idea about physics or speed or gravity or momentum or inertia. And we're flying down hills. God, this will be great. And all of a sudden, wow, I'm in the air a really long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I broke two arms. I was never particularly good. I was You've particularly only got two. good on. Yeah, I broke both of them <laughs> on different occasions. Okay. Yeah. How did your mum uh, and dad react? Uh, you know, something along the lines of, oh, God, that's just so typical of you. You know, you, you just don't think, you know, all, all that kind of. The, my, my parents were pretty good, actually. They were very much of the ilk that if I said, you know, I don't feel very well today, I don't want to go to school, they're like, there's nothing wrong when you go to school. You know, so uh, tough love. Right. But I guess when your arm is hanging off at a, you know, perpendicular angle, they might go, well, maybe we'll go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. I did, yeah, great. Two, two fractures of the wrists. It hurt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And at what point did cycling become a, a thing that you wanted to do more than just to visit the emergency room? That's a, that's, a, that's a good question because in my teens, I used to ride a lot. And well, just to get around. Just to get around. But you should knock on your mate's doors and you go for a bike ride. And actually, when, when, when we was at Sky, we did some research around, like, why is cycling so popular amongst this, like, mammal audience, middle-aged men in Lycra? And the psychology of, for instance, if tomorrow I said, oh, shall I, do you want to go out for a bike ride? And you're like, yeah. I'll make it happen. I'd knock on your door. And I'm like, where do you want to go? Oh, well, you know. Okay, let's do the La Perouse ride. And it, and it taps into the psychology of when you were a kid, the whole escapism of going out on bikes. So, um, so I, talk, I talk about that a bit in that the bicycle uh, is so much, not only to society, because when the bicycle turned up as an affordable thing, m- people of a far lower socioeconomic uh, class could afford to live further out of town because they didn't have to for the upkeep of a horse, mm. they could now ride in and out. And it, it changed. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, it changed cities because now these people could live further out of town. They could afford cheaper land because, you know, I mean, if they lived three hours walk, you know, that could be a 30 minute ride. Yeah. And now it makes sense that they can be that far out. That you makes know, sense. Yeah, it's fascinating, right? We did have cars in Grimsby, though, you know. I yeah, said oh, it's no, a no, no, I'm just saying, like in the old days. But then <laughs> when we were kids, up until the moment I got my bike, if I wanted to go anywhere that wasn't the end of the block, I needed to get a lift hmm. from my parents. The moment I got a bike, oh, bear in mind, this is when I think the world was even more dangerous then than it is now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it was, I'll just be back by sunset. And away we'd go. And we would go for miles from our house. I'm talking like five, 10 Ks away. Yeah. And we're eight, <laughs> you know? And that kind of freedom. Amazing. Yeah, and I, I don't want to sound old, but no, that right. just wouldn't, wouldn't happen nowadays. It only happened back in our day, but I guess we didn't have this kind of mobile phone culture. We didn't have the, 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 as, much, as much media as we do now. Yeah, the media is very busy telling us that our, our suburbs are the most dangerous places ever, but I would put it that, that they were far scarier back then. Yeah. Because of their, there was no mobile phones and people could legitimately hide inside society. It's a yeah. bit harder to do now. But I, I was quite a skinny kid and I was always the smallest in my ear and I, I kind of struggled with cycling because bikes then were quite heavy things. So I, I was kicking around playing football and cricket and golf and tennis. I was like jack of all trades, master of none. And in many ways, I think that's what got me out of like being bullied at school probably because I, like, I really was the smallest kid in a, quite a big school. And, um, but, you know, in the 80s, uh, the Tour de France really took off to a Western audience. And it's probably because of people like Greg LeMond, you know, open up a Western audience. Western audience. And I saw uh, the Tour de France on Channel 4. I was just transfixed, just watch it every day, video it every day, replay it every day, 
you know, file them away in a cabinet, watch them in the winter. And I didn't actually carry on cycling, but I've always through my life read about cycling. And the, the, the storytelling around cycling is just amazing. To the extent actually now where I think over a third of all sports books in the UK are, are cycling books. And the people now have a, a real great appreciation of like this rich tapestry of, of, uh, of a sport called pro cycling and the origins uh, you know, it, that are all deep rooted in Europe and how people come from far and wide, particularly at the Australians in the 80s. And, and actually how it's like glory through suffering is so much now. I mean, you just need to look at the English Premier League that these people just get the faintest of touches and they're crying on the floor and there's none of that in cycling. With it's such hundreds an of millions of pounds yes, going yeah. into their bank accounts for a six-month job. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. And uh, so I always, always read about cycling, always watched cycling. And I kind of went through university, came out of university, was playing a lot of soccer, and um, then I was working in media and advertising, on, uh, and then I worked at Sky. This is the uh, Rupert's um, yeah. pay TV channel? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in the UK, actually, Sky TV is, uh, I get a lot of people think it's quite an austere brand, but at its heart, it's an entertainment brand. Actually, when James Murdoch came over to Sky, he was quite, he was quite amazing, actually. His mantra was, look, you know, we're an entertainment company and come to work like you, like, you work for an entertainment company, but remember you're working for a reason. So he really got the balance right. And he brought a lot of thinking in around uh, the environment and being carbon neutral, and he really championed cycling. And it's very genuine. He, he, he cycles Are you sure he's Rupert's son? But yeah, it's a good question, yeah. <laughs> because Rupert's newspapers seem to be fairly adamant that climate change isn't happening. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a good point. I think the problem with the media, though, it always tapers itself to the... To its readership, yeah, it? doesn't and it? And newspapers particularly yeah. just tell people what they want to hear. Mm. Um, but yeah, James was really big into cycling. And, and at the time, my father just retired from working in the steel industry all his life. And he was back riding bikes with all the kids he went to secondary school with. And my brother bought him a bike as his retirement present. And I started going home and riding bikes with my dad's friends and that's another thing i love about cycling this it it covers everyone from left to right and top to bottom in terms of socio-economic class and age groups and i, I spend, still spend a lot of time riding bikes with my dad in his mid-70s and um yeah I was, I was riding bikes at sky and i was working in the the directorate called brand marketing where we sort of gave birth to this cycling project which there's a really interesting story about it, actually. So in July 2005, London was awarded the Olympic Games. And Sky's CEO was sort of saying, Look, how, can we, how can we be part of the Olympics? I don't want to just badge adverts and billboards saying we're a sponsor. Uh, and Sky couldn't broadcast it because of the broadcast rights. It's got to be on free-to-air television in the UK. So we said, look, let's, um, let's invest in the sport. So when, when the sport's successful at the London Olympic Games, people, the, the people of the UK will play back that, that story to Sky from investing in the sport. And that, that's kind of what, exactly what happened. And uh, So they, how do you go about from having, we don't have a cycling team, to putting the millions of dollars together and acquiring the riders? I mean, where does it start? Were you on well, board before the riders got signed? Um. How it happened was 
Manchester got the Commonwealth Games. Yeah, 2002. Late, yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. And then around 1996, in the UK, we created a national lottery. And obviously, you'd be familiar with lotteries in all different countries. But the one thing we always looked at Australia, because Australia always kicked our ass at everything. <laughs> and we really liked that competitive rivalry in the UK. But one of the, thing, one of the reasons for that in, was that Australian sport was provisioned funded by the government. And what the, what the lottery did in the UK was it enabled uh, funding to go into elite sport. And uh, so British Cycling was already a well-funded organisation. And it was, already, it was already on that trajectory, which is why we chose cycling rather than swimming. You know, Sir David Brailsford, as he's called now, had this amazing track programme in Manchester. So, um, you know, we were probably the final piece of the jigsaw Sky was, and um, and that that was the track program, and people would be familiar with, uh, you know, in in Beijing, the GB cycling team won more gold medals than the French did as a nation in the Olympics. It was that incredible. So when David Dave Browser stepped off the plane from Beijing, he was just like the he was the bee's knees as far as all the Charlie Big Chip guys at Sky, and he played a real clever hand actually he said look all these guys who were winning medals at an elite level for great britain soon as they say oh, i want to be a road cyclist they get lost in all these cycling teams in europe and obviously cycling per se has got a bit of a checkered history with with doping and so um dave wanted to capture and realize all that value by creating a professional cycling team the world's best cycling team and that 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 was team sky you know and uh there's a, there's a good story actually because it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a project invented by Sky Sports. Sky Sports in the UK is this like really bombastic cricket, football, tennis, motorsport, Premier League. They've built sport in the UK, but they didn't think of cycling. So if we said a year before we want to invest in a cycling team, they'd be like, "What? He's cycling? Yeah, yes. no one no one watches cycling. It's just a minority sport, you know." Uh, but we, we um, a year before we took, we made this preemptive move, uh, whereby we got a big cross section of people at Sky. But honestly, all that honestly speaking, more like the, the top management, and said, "We're going to train you in six months to ride a stage of the Tour de France with the input of British Cycling, belt and braces, you know, coaching, bicycles." You're talking the execs. The execs. I yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, we trained them up. And, and like they uh, loved it. Their they, lives they changed. Yeah. They lost weight. Their wives were like, this is amazing. Yeah, it's normally a two-year cycle, three-year cycle. It's like the first, the first year is like, oh, darling, yeah, you're looking a bit slimmer. Yeah, yeah. And the next year it's like, do you mind if I do, do the tap again, as it's called, you know, they tap the tour. Yeah, you do that. And then they just lose themselves in cycling. And, and year three, it's, it's either me or divorce. <laughs> Forget about the bike. So there's been a bit of collateral damage along the way in, in, on the marriage stakes by people, you know, guys falling in love with cycling. But what happened was... What a smart move to get... People were going on holiday together at Sky, which had never happened before. It was like execs going back in the boardroom and saying, what have you done at the weekend? And so I, I went to Mallorca with a few guys and, and it's like, that's weird. You're going on holiday with your workmates. So at the end, you know, we... we um, Loads of people finished the stage of the Tour de France. And lo and behold, two months later, um, 
British Cycling walked in the door with with people from Sky and say we want 60 million euros over four years to create Team Sky, and the exec were like, "That's a bloody good idea." <laughs> you know? and what that, that's, a lesson! That's how, that's how Team Team Sky was born in 2000 and. To the middle of 2000, late 2008, and it launched in January 2010. And the main driving force behind it was a guy called Corin, who was really my predecessor, who actually now lives in uh, Sydney. For um, and he worked as a CMO now for Optus, so he's back in the corporate world. And when he came over, he actually worked for Fox because, like you know, when you like you become a trusted henchman and you yeah. go all around News Corp, he came to work for for not Fox News. And he was in newspapers, and he soon found out what a hard-nosed industry is in this country. Yeah, because he went to Fo- he went to Fox Sports and said, "You should invest in swimming." You know, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the guy who kind of did this thing in the UK in Team Sky. You might have heard of it. Won the Tour de France, and there's a great opportunity for you to invest in swimming because it's kind of on the on the wane, and you've got such a great heritage in Australia. And he and they said to him. Just go back and do your job, you know, in in, in a newspaper, you know, and, and I, re- I felt really sorry for Corin there because he 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 was a, he was the guy who really was the driving force behind yeah. the cycling project. You know, I I I was kind of there from the beginning and took it over, but you know, I, it's, I can't state the claim for. So who is the? So you, okay, so many questions about this. Sixty million over four years. Sixty million euro. That's all lot of coin yeah but that's obviously the kind of coin you need to attract the best riders coaches nutritionists yeah <laughs> you've got you've got you've got, you've got to buy a, a load of like fixed infrastructure so you've got to buy a couple of buses mm. they're three quarters of a million each obviously sky wants to do the best and they became these things called like the death stars you know they're, they're better than everybody else and actually in 2010 you know, Sky came out and like, not that the, the inference to the outside world was, we're Team Sky and we're going to beat you all. And it didn't happen. And everyone was laughing at them. And they were very kind of serious and, and they learned the hard way. Because the year later, the team were all very much more inviting and fan facing. A bit like what Orica Greenedge are now. I look at Orica Greenedge and they're just, they're just fantastic. That's what cycling should all be about. Um, but yeah, buses, three quarters of a million quid each. But the, the problem from a talent acquisition point of view is everybody knows you've got money and everybody knows you want British riders. So it's, it's literally just, uh, nay, nay, you know, just you have to spend a lot of money to get people out of contracts. And the team was going to be around Mark Cavendish. Here. And still, I think uh, in 2000... Uh, 2008, he won a shed load of stages at the Tour de France. And Bob Stapleton, who was the manager of HTC High Road, um, used that kind of uh, emotion at the Tour to re-sign Cav for something like, I don't know, it's like 650,000 euros at the time, which locked him out of Sky, which really like um, uh, effed off a lot of the British cycling guys. Um, so all eyes went from being this kind of all-conquering sprint team because the, the theory at the time was you can't win the tour clean. Uh, but in 2009, Brad Wiggins came off being a track cyclist and was riding for Garmin and he, he lost a load of weight and he came fourth in the Tour de France. So it's like, hang on, let's go for Brad. And he was, but we had to get him out of his contract to Garmin. Um, so that, they, uh, that cost money. 
And so, yeah, you, you add it all together and soon you don't have a lot of money left. Mm. And I think the, the budget now is well over 20 million euros a year. Wow. You know, top cyclists are on about four and a half million euros. Um, but it's quite a grubby industry. You know, when I was in, in and around Team Sky, I spent most of the time with the, the mechanics, the soigneurs, or the helpers, as it's called, the drivers. And they're all on year-to-year contracts. And they're people who get in, you know, the whole premise of this is like working, in, talking to people who get to work, uh, have a job that's, part, you know, their, their true passion. And in many ways, these kind of people get trapped in cycling because imagine the age of 16, do you want to live on the road? Do you want to work for, in pro cycling, be a mechanic? It's like, absolutely yes. So then they grow up and they've got a family and a mortgage and they, and they get year-to-year contracts. And it's a pretty grubby industry, you know. Um, so part of what Sky was trying to do is just trying to transition a lot of skill sets from a from a corporate world into a sporting environment, you know, whether it be legal, marketing, commercial. I'm not sure if they that ever really succeeded in happening. But um yeah, it's so you about seventy percent of that spend will go into salaries. Yeah. What's the what's the mood like when you're when you all roll into town and you're set up in the the, the the pits, I guess. I mean, I guess it's something along the lines of what it's like to be at a Formula One when everyone's travelling, everyone's on the road and then you all set up and you eye each other off and you walk up and down the the staging areas behind the barricades. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a poor man's Formula One, but, you know, Sky definitely added a lot of profile and credibility to a sport that wasn't there before because it was all about performance and this... this uh, notion of the aggregation of mar- marginal gains so if you're one percent better at everything else it'll all pay off and that really came from clive woodward originally you know when when england won the rugby world cup in australia it was that be- belief that if you improve everything just fractionally it'll all add, add up so um you know when team sky rolled up it did no, no doubt it added something that to pro cycling that wasn't there before um but you know, Sky generally the the mood within Sky as a team is a lot different to the rest of the teams. I think because Dave Brailsford likes he was you know came from a background which is working in Olympic cycling. So you've got many people competing for few places. So he always likes to cultivate a um, cultivate a competition in, in the ranks. And that, that unease, the unease that that gives. And a lot of riders just can't cope with that when they're riding 180 days a year on the road. Mm. You know, competition for places and was... Uh, so, so, yeah, I think Brad Wiggins really struggled with it all the time and he couldn't wait to finish with Sky because it, the pressure, that you know, that, that pressure cooker situation is just too much for some riders. But a lot of the guys who grew up with BC, they're used to it, you know, and... Uh, it's interesting because, like you know, elite sports about winning, and like if it was if it if elite sport was fair, everyone would cross the winning cross the line together, wouldn't they? And it's it's pretty brutal in an elite sporting environment. So, what's the kid version of you who used to watch the VHSs of the Tour de France? What does he do inside of you when you're there? You're standing on the summits of some of these cols when you you know did he did it all right upon you? Like I'm. I'm doing what I thought I wanted to do when I was a kid? There's no way. I didn't know what I wanted to do as a kid. I did town planning at university. Mm-hmm. And I went, I did that because I thought, that sounds interesting. So I just had no idea about what I wanted to do. And I do vividly remember in the 2011 Tour de France, 
going out in one of the jags at the front of the race and 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 holding out bidons, you know, bottles on some of the coals, and then give also giving out um, newspaper, you know, to put down their shirts. They still do that now. They still do that. Yeah, yeah. 2011 tour was pretty cold. So, so just 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 to uh, call, just to bring some people up. The, that's the the water bottle you see people put in a little cage on their bicycle mm. with a funny little lid. That's called a bidon. And um, basically you climb up these mountains and it's very, very hot work. Yeah. But then as you descend, you're going 70, 80, 90 kilometres an hour or more and you're on a mountain, you're at 8,000 feet. It's cold and you're covered in sweat. And so what they actually do is they stuff newspapers down the fronts of their jerseys as a form of insulation yeah. and they still do that. Still, still, still now, still considered like the best, the most useful tool it collects the water, presses it against, it provides a bit of insulation and all a little bit of warmth, I think, you know. So I was on the top of the mountain thinking, just don't f this up, you know. Really, because the, 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 the guys in the team were so. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com laissez-faire about you know just hand the bottles over and yeah that was that was pretty that was pretty crazy and pretty amazing but i to all, to all intents and purposes i was doing a fairly low skill job at the top of a mountain but i think that the job title i had like head of cycling or whatever it was just afforded me so much access yeah and um i yeah i used to i used to work do my work in in the bus Transitioning between stages, going around Italy at the Grand Tours, La Vuelta, Tour de France, the classics. You know, it was all access, all around the teams and riders. But I don't think I, I, I ran around with that, you know, waggy dog tail. I was, I was really trying to understand ev yeah. how everything fitted together because straight away I was thinking, cycling's really growing. I really want to stay within, yeah, within cycling and. It didn't really work out at Sky in the end because it was in such a frustrating job because Team Sky is the world's biggest train set for people at Sky, senior people. It's like, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I was so lucky to be like a board member on the Team Sky operating board where you talk about talent acquisition and all kinds of stuff. But, I, you know, it just felt to me like it was, you know, for a lot of people on the board, it was like, oh, let's go play bicycles today. I've got 10 o'clock and it's the Team Sky board meeting. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to run sport for, for Germany or I'm going to go run broadband in the UK. And, and um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was really frustrating. Uh, but and, but um, the access was just, like, in incredible. And I met so many people that... Um, that I still still know well today, and like the the best ever story, it was just like it's, a, it's a, just a dream. Uh, 
it happened a few weeks ago when Matthew Heyman, who was a Team Sky rider, he broke his elbow five weeks ago and got in contact saying, like, you never know what I'm riding Zwift. Because he's like an old school cyclist, good guy, bust his arm. And, and, and he lives for this race called Paru Bay, which is like the biggest one day race, which is raced across arable farmland and cobble tracks in the northern France. So like in a place called Roubaix, which is probably the, the equivalent of Grimsby. <laughs> and it's steeped in history and it's for the hard men of the sport. And, and we uh, talk about victory with suffering. People cross the finish line covered in mud and blood and they're on broken bikes and it's extraordinary, extraordinary. Yeah. And there's a fantastic film about it made in the late, early 70s. Mm. Yeah. And the days of um, a day in hell. A day yeah. in hell. Yeah. It's called a day in hell. And I mean, everyone was on the gear, but that's fine. <laughs> Everybody was on the, the magical, magical stay awake pills, but it's still. Yeah, I think it's more like it's more like amphetamines in those yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. But still, it was, it's it's an extraordinary, difficult, painful race. But this rider busted his arm, and that's it. You can't train. Yeah, he, he can't train, and and then he he, well, he, well, he jumped on this thing called Zwift, which we'll talk about in a minute, and. He spent four weeks riding this thing called Zwift, and, uh, which is, is basically a training tool in a virtual environment. And he never rode outside, and he won Peru Bay, and he was 800 to 1. And people who know him kind of always known he's kind of threatened to potentially podium at Roubaix, potentially when you never know. Anything can happen at Roubaix. People fall off their bikes. It's just so unpredictable. And he won it. And... Um, He'd done a thousand kilometers on it in the in the months before. Huh? Yeah, more than that, about fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred k's. So yeah, and so for for, for what wind forward to today and working with this company called Zwift, and we're just like a, a grain of sand on this big beach called cycling, and no one we're trying to like get people to kind of understand what we do, and all of a sudden this guy won the biggest bike race in the world by riding in his garage on this thing called Zwift, and. Uh, I just could not believe it. That, that, that's the that's the most. I'd say like the hap, I can't say proudest because like I didn't win the bike race and and Zwift didn't win the bike race either. But it was the, it from a career point of view, it's the happiest thing ever. You know, the, <laughs> it's it pretty just, great. It was unreal. It's pretty. It's pretty fantastic. Now, for 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 people who you know they they will see cyclists and I mean we could talk about this forever and I'm particularly today because the. Uh, the traffic guy um, that we use in Brisbane in the chopper, he uh, sends me photos all the time of the cycle accidents. I said, just send me photos of the cycling accidents because I, I want to tweet them out because um, it's uh, the law in Brisbane is it's a metre. You've got to give a metre in line yeah. at less than 60 and more beyond 60. And in Queensland, the law is that any lane can be a cycle lane. You don't have to be in the bike lane. And every time I post a photo, so many people, so many people, it's like, what are you doing on the fucking road? Mm. But I, I wanted to ask, about that, you know, people, pe people see these bicycles riding by, okay, and what they may not realise is that on those bicycles there's all kinds of, kinds of sensors, like there's a heart rate monitor like you might wear at the gym, but there's also a sensor on the bike that can tell you how often your pedals roll around per minute and there's also a GPS on the bike that shows you how fast you're going. But all these things work indoors and mm. Zwift is what we're talking about is a thing that basically takes all this data and then maps it onto an avatar that you then ride in a virtual environment. And if you, uh, if you can afford it, um, which I'm grateful to say that I, I am able to, 
um, there's a, a trainer that increases resistance as you ride. So here you are. I found Zwift when I was in the Netherlands. He hadn't only been up for a couple of weeks. And it was, I was riding around uh, up there. I was working at a school up there. But, then was, you know, it's the Netherlands, so it just rains all the time. So mm. I was riding around exploring, uh, being my Don Quixote, going on windmill hunts. And there was a couple of days in a row it was just raining and I found this thing called Swift. And I sat there in an Airbnb in Amsterdam and I was riding my bicycle. As you say, people knock on the door. And here I was, I was riding my bicycle with people from all over the world, which blew my mind, completely blew my mind. And they're chatting away and here we all are. We're in this virtual place, but I'm sweating. In fact, so much so that I thought I was going to lose my bond on the Airbnb because there was this pool of sweat underneath me because I was working that hard. <laughs> um, so you say you – at what point in the, in the company did you, did you come along? How early? Um, right, so the, the company started – like it's, I've got to tell you this story. So the, these two lead characters in the story is Wift, two very different people. So the first guy is a guy called Eric Min, my boss. Uh, he lives in London, but he's actually the, one of three sons of Korean immigrants who came to New York in the ni- early 1970s. And his parents had a wig shop. Um, so, like, you know, it's a real immigrant story. And today, him and his two other brothers are fantastically successful, like, um, really nice people, very well off. Um, very genuine down to earth so you know full credit to their mum and dad they did amazing but Eric was really into cycling as a kid and I think he as a, as a son of an immigrant I think he used cycling to legitimise himself on this kind of racing scene in New York and uh, and uh, yeah so he, he was he was racing bikes and uh, I think it got to a point where he just wanted to race bikes and his mum and dad went like, come on, just stop it because you, he, was, he was becoming a bit of a, uh, not a failure in their eyes, but he just needed to like buckle down. And he went and he, he went to uni and he excelled. He got a jo- job at JP Morgan. And then uh, he met a business partner, set up a business. And it was kind of, it was a trading platform for banks. And then they turned it into a trading platform for energy companies. And then... Five years ago, him and his partner were like, this is a bit boring, really. Uh, so what should we do? Should we sell the business? And they ended up just like winding down the business. Had some like contracts worth tens of millions of dollars. They just wound it down, took the money out of the company. And uh, so him and his partner, so his partner's a guy called Alaric, who I hope you don't mind me saying is a very introverted tech guy, coder, amazingly cerebral um, and him and Eric are really good uh, polar opposites. Eric's the optimist, the seller, um, very enigmatic. And um, like, what are we going to do next? So they'd, they'd, they'd been in a business which was corporate and business to business. So Eric wanted a, a consumer-facing company, still wanted to do something in tech, but he wanted to do something in cycling. You know, And he'd spent... Uh, all the, all the time going through life, still cycling, but being a very busy guy, he'd got into indoor cycling, but he still thought it sucked. But he did it because he didn't have much time, he had loads of kids, and it was a way to just still keep dialed in to, to cycling. So it's like, right, I want to I wanna get in, I want to I wanna bridge cycling into this kind of 
uh, gamification of fitness, console gaming technology type type angle that's, that's been spoken about, I think, for the last five or ten years, but never really happened. And, and the reason why Swift's never happened before is because, I guess, you don't get computer gamers who are into to, to cycling. You know, if it was a Venn diagram, there would be there would be no overlap or a little bit of overlap. Mm. But there's this guy in in uh, the US called John Mayfield, again a, a guy who'd grown up coding games for big uh, gaming titles, you know, big gaming companies, and he'd found himself into this. He'd found himself working for a US military think tank in war games, gaming. Bloody and he hell. was literally like in the desert blowing stuff up with uh, robots or goodness knows what and having the time of his life boil accounts because it's just like, you know, let's just make up war gaming, you know. And, but he, he wanted to keep fit, he had a young family and he got into cycling. And he's, he's more like the, not as much a so, social cyclist, a number cyclist. Like the, we've got a lot of people, specifically triathletes are really into like the, the number side of things, the data side. So like he just decided to build a, a, a training platform. He literally wrote the prototype of Zwift in a, in a weekend. <laughs> and it's kind of this story percolated on uh, some forums, some triathlon forums, and Eric found him. He went over to uh, the US, bought the IP off John. John became a founder of the company, obviously with, with a stake in the company, but with the agreement that if Swift failed, all the IP gets returned to John. Uh, so John's turned into this kind of enigmatic Wizard of Oz type character who, who, who's the mastermind, really the mastermind by, by Swift. Like we all kind of half-heartedly joke that if he got run over by a bus tomorrow, <laughs> we'd be f- basically, because uh, he um, he's that good at what he does. So um, that's kind of how Swift started. And then this is kind of, I mean, this is a whole new world. That was, that was uh, March 2014. They developed the platform through 2014. And in October that year, they launched it as what you call a closed beta product. I don't know what beta was at the time. I came just shortly after, the, after this, this time. But basically a... You could get an invite to ride Zwift because Zwift was only compatible with a couple of trainers. Today, it's compatible with all trainers. Trainers are $100 to $1,000 and everything in between. And that's what makes Zwift good because it's going to be a truly accessible product. And um, so it was a closed beta product. We came to Australia last May to, to announce it was an open beta product so anybody could get Zwift. And it literally it does cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to run this company called Zwift because... Uh, there's this so much there's so much involved in, in creating the product. But we gave we gave the product away for for a whole year before launching as a subscription product, which was last November. I came last um last February uh on the management team. So yeah, my job is to build demand and through marketing. And uh it's it's it is a dream job. It's so stressful like, you know, living in the UK, the um the US, California wakes up at five and I work a lot during the evening. I can't turn off. It causes all amount of grief at home with my wife. But yeah, I still have to pinch myself that I'm working in this job because I think it's going to be a surefire success commercially. But the story that we'll create around this product will be much broader than, you know, middle-aged men in Lycra. 
in like actually let's let's go back to something else actually you know we were talking about yeah you, know, you tap into your the the advent the the, the tap into the mindset of going for a bike ride and those adventures and mm. that's very liberating when you're a middle-aged man because you've got so many responsibilities and yeah. this whole escapism bring to it computer games yeah and then it it's intoxicating for for men you know because you like cycling because and then all of a sudden you've got these these guys in their homes playing computer games on bikes with other people all around the world but instead of being sat on their ass on a sofa twiddling a joystick with their thumbs they're doing something really healthy and, and quite quite hard now you put the mountain in there yeah yeah so <laughs> that they, mountain is hard it is an amazing workout and you can destroy yourself riding Zwift yeah but what I do yesterday I did the ringer yesterday the that, workout yeah yeah I couldn't finish it really <laughs> it was so hard it was when the recovery times get shorter yeah, yeah, yeah. They get shorter by ten seconds each time, and I thought that I had to pull out after I, eight reps. I, I personally struggle with doing doing workouts. I I I, I like the racing, the group rides. I get, get I, I I find that I can work much harder. Do you think this that. is the future of uh, fitness? Um, a year in, and um, having really gotten onto the bonnet of this business, I would say yes, because. There's more people on the earth with busier lifestyles and people need fitness solutions that work in the home but tap into lots of other things, so technology specifically. So what you, end, what you end up with Zwift is doing something that was really ordinarily quite solitary. And actually, let's face it, like these things, training indoors in the home was, was such a necessary evil. And in many ways, the... It, you know, I often talk around a, a turbo trainer, as you call it. A bu buying it uh, in the past would be like buying a toasty maker or a juicer. It's just like this idea, like maybe like January 1, I've got to get a fit. I'm going to buy a juicer. I'm gonna buy. But after a couple of days, it just goes back in, back in the cupboard, never sees the light of day again. But So we, we turn these, these really dull things into quite sexy items. And like bikes now are pretty desirable things to have, aren't they? And... And then nowadays, a, tr a home trainer is because it it gives you access to riding your bike in the, what what you call a massive online multiplayer platform with thousands of people all around the world in your home in a solitary environment doing something that's truly social. And you, the, I think the thing that really differentiates it from cycling is I think cycling's still fairly clicky. So it's like, what bike have you got? What clothing have you got? And, you know, often when you go down to ride for a group with the first time, you might not feel that welcomed. And it's always spoken about when you go ride with a join a club, you get spat out the back. But Zwift's not like that at all. So we've got people like Matthew Heyman and we've got 50-odd World Tour Pro cyclists use Zwift. And at the other end, we've got people like hand cyclists and disabled people, women who have had kids or are having kids who just need to be in the home and ride. And that whole wide angle lens around fitness in the home and spinning opens up a much broader market than just people like you and I. So that the community itself, as we call it, which sounds a bit cliche, but it is a community, is so eclectic and vibrant. 
with even, you know, we've got people like yourself, TV presenters, you know, we've got NASCAR riders, we've got English Premier League footballers, we've got oh, right. NHL uh, hockey players. Wayne Maxwell, he's a, uh, he's like one of the rides of 1500cc superbikes in Australia. Yeah. He, uh, he dropped me on a hill one day. I took a screenshot of him going, I don't know who you are, buddy, but I cannot keep up. Next thing I know, he tags me on, someone tags him on Instagram. <laughs> you write yeah, back yeah. and I look at who he is. He's a superbike rider. He's like a MotoGP guy. It's crazy. And yeah. there he is in his, in his garage at home, just... And the, the, the goodwill that they exist there. And I think it's because it's a beta product and we gave it away for pre, free and people are quite cognizant of that and we're not trying to make it expensive or exclusive. The goodwill that it builds in the community is quite amazing to the extent that people like yourself want to kind of nut out these stories and tell the world because, like, who the hell are we, you know? Mm. You're this, you're this um, big deal presenter... No. Just on a beach. He really wants to like give <laughs> give some oxygen to Zwift, and it's the same with all these other um, well known people. It's quite amazing, and I think the, the biggest challenge for Zwift will be as we get bigger and bigger and bigger. Hopefully, like hundreds of thousands of subscribers. That we've got to make sure that we keep that goodwill with the environment, you know, mm. within that community, because we've got. 70 Facebook groups now. The biggest is that's 13,500. Any country you name it is a Facebook community group around Zwift there. And that helps us as a business in so many ways, specifically around like how does Zwift work? It's still tech. You know, when you buy an iPhone, you get out of the box, you press the on button, it works. Mm. With Zwift, you've still got to put a few things together. You've got to connect a trainer to mm. a computer and there's a signal that goes in between and so on and so forth. So... The community do so much to tell people who are interested in Zwift how it works. Yeah. And that, that is the amazing thing about Zwift. But, and we've got to be so mindful of the value of that, that when we grow as a business, um, the payback's still got to be there. So that's going to be, it's going to be difficult to fathom out how we do it, I think. Well, I'm sure that you've got heaps of stuff in the pipeline, like doing a, 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 a Wahoo-branded Zwift special or, you know, you, you know, making your own trainer and finding someone in China that can do it for you. I'm sure that's all in the pipeline. But, you know, how do you go about as a company and, like, just, just to talk for like folks who might be, you know, in the startup scene, how do you go as a company with, you know, people obviously very, very vocal about what they would like as features yeah. in, in the thing? And, and, you know, code's code. You've got to write it line by line. You can't just hit, you know, generate You've got to yeah. be very careful. It can be quite buggy. Um, you're dealing with so many input streams with all these different users from all over the world. Um, how do you, you know, talk to customers about, thanks for that, we're going to bring this, we're going to, this is the order, we're going to put the features in, here's the features you might not realise. How do you even manage that? I think it's like a 50-50 relationship. Um, and I don't want that to sound like really, uh, I'm talking through rose-tinted spectacles, but... We set off on a journey and we made lots of assumptions within the business that were completely wrong. And the benefit of beta was that people, the company informed how we developed the product. Mm. So absolutely we listen. And I think the best, one of the best qualities of Zwift is that the community see the management of Zwift everywhere on forums, ridings with. So we're really accessible and accountable to the community. And if people are moaning about something, for instance... Um, more often than not it will be there fronting up mm. um, and then the other half of it is probably the, the coders who when you talk about gamifying fitness it's the psychology of how you do that and who, who, would, who would know that like riding on a flat road 
in Zwift, once you put a, in, a, in an underwater tunnel surrounded by dolphins and rays and whales, would all of a sudden become really amazing because the whole thing around Zwift and the gamification of fitness is stimulating the mind so it switches off, so it's not consciously thinking, it's working out. You know, that's so people who have ridden indoors have traditionally looked at a wall or looked at a video or a film to stimulate them. But what Zwift gives you this is immersive environment. And the gamification is all around, you know, we talked about gaming. It's about levels and achievements and unlocking stuff. And it's a bit like grown up men uh, become insane, develop insatiable appetites to become not silver, but gold, not gold, but elite in terms of like flying around the world. <laughs> and these men who were like, all these people just get so lost in, in Zwift because it's this, this game. Mm. And the output is f a fun social experience that keeps you fit, mm. you know? So what's not to like about that? Yeah. And, um, and then you've got this rich community of people, um, We've got, you've got people like Michael Dell, you know, with Ridden Zwift. And, uh, what kind of computer does he use? I think he probably uses a <laughs> Dell, <laughs> you know. And, and, and you, know, you talked about... Give me the top specs, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm running 1080p. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yeah, you were, you were talking about, like, the, the, the startup community, and it's something that I'd never been used to before. All oh, right. You know, so I'd... I guess, you know, Sky is this big, lumbering kind of arm of an enormous corporation yeah and not quite nimble at all to, to be honest to be fair it was nimble it was yeah? nimble you know okay. so i think it's less nimble now because it's just a, it's a grown-up middle-aged corporate like almost like a utility yeah, but you're beholden to shareholders and boards yeah. and all kinds of things but one of the beauty of the the murdochs were they they had control and that which meant they could do things quickly and i remember actually there was this uh James Murdoch was having burgers with the, with the management team at Sky in, in, in Barcelona, of all places. It must have been around 2005. And it's like, what is the future of television? And it was like, right, you know, we've got a delivery system now, which is satellite. But when you look at uh, how broadband's developing and fiber, it's going to open up a different delivery system. And, and actually, if we bundle services, you provide more value and actually it's harder for customers to churn because they're really tied into you. So they just said, you know what, let's do broadband. And they did broadband within a couple of months. Wow. So they, they could do okay. stuff quickly. But the, the thing about Sky and I'd say generally the corporate world is it's hierarchical. So even Sky were, you know, I would, I could, I had the, I would walk in the boardroom regularly to present to members of the exec which was amazing. But, you know, there, there's a hierarchy and you'd wear a suit generally and there's a pressure cooker environment. Fast forward four, four, four or five years later, I'm going into meetings in like Silicon Valley with guys worth billions of dollars who are younger than me in T-shirts and jeans and pumps saying, it's so awesome to meet you. How can I help you? And you're in this kind of virtuous world where these guys, they've, they've, got, they've got money to invest and they want to invest in you. So they want to help you. So it's, and, it, and it's just, um, it's, it's quite amazing really, you know, being, having access to, to that world. You yeah. Know? yeah, so many people who are so incredibly successful 
And you know, money's not just a binary thing. You know, being being incredibly wealthy doesn't mean you're successful. But a lot of these guys in Silicon Valley have done it in ways that you really, uh, you know, full of admiration for them because mm. it's not like they've not been working at, uh, you know, in, in big corporate banks. And, you know, you, you hear about how people can make money. And personally, I, I'm, I'm at odds with a lot of that. But I think... Uh, I've got mates that work in some of those banks. And I was like, I don't know if I could. It looks nice, your holiday home and the other holiday home both look nice, but I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. I don't know if I could sleep. Have you watched The Big Short? I watched it on the plane on the way over. Oh, not yet. It's fantastic. So yeah. it's, all about, it's all about what happened in the run-up to the financial meltdown in oh, 2007 yeah. and how people spotted that the housing bubble, the housing meltdown would spark a, a world financial crisis. And the people who spotted it either had no interest in the corporate world, just highly functioning analytic types or people who had it in for the banks. And they were the people who made so much money they out, shorted of, it. out, yeah, out yeah. of the... Uh, the meltdown. Oh, okay. I've got to it's a that. really good film. We're um we're coming up. I'm going to have to let you go because you're you're a busy man. But um I I did want to ask you know you mentioned at the start of this and I talk about it a lot uh, about how people really underestimate how many cyclists there are in the world and how many people actually participate in this. But yeah. Why just in the last ten years? Why is it seeming to really explode? Considering that it's a sport that. The most notoriety has come to it through things like, you know, Lance Armstrong and stuff like this and Cantador and a lot yeah. of like heavy doping scandals. You think the people who are going to want to be a part of that, but it seems to be the opposite. Why? Right. Okay. We, we just spoke about the financial crisis. That, that's definitely one of them. So there's a, lo- there's a load of trend, underlying trends that came together around 2007. One was the financial crisis, which meant in metropolitan areas, people would commute rather than actually drive. Another might be the go on domestic holidays like camping or or cycling rather than go abroad. At the same time, there was elite success from Great Britain, which was really well publicized in the media across the world. Um, And then you've got this, you've got big mega cities like London that are having to invest in infrastructure that uh, embraces cycling. And then you've got this big wellness culture coming um, coming about in the last 10 or 15 years, which doesn't mean that the whole world's getting healthy because I think it's a two-speed economy there. You know, the, the unhealthier are getting unhealthier and the fitter are getting fitter. And then you've still got a lot of, en- a, a lot of environmental consciousness. Put all of those things together... And it's no surprise that cycling is as big as it is. And there's about 50 million enthusiast cyclists globally, we think. And it's, and it's 200 million probably when you're looking at recreational cyclists. And then if you think about how desirable it is in the West, let's just say the West, you're getting, you're getting shakes in the Middle East going, hang on, you know, let's ditch that, Lamborghini, that, that gold plate Lamborghini I want a bike because bike, bike cycling's cool. And like, just imagine if the, the middle class, and we've already seen it in Thailand now, the middle class in Thailand are really embracing cycling. If that goes to India and to China, where traditionally uh, a car's been a status symbol, if you can get people's mindsets around uh, cycling being a cool thing, then the world's going to be a much better place because... Um, the great thing about working for Zwift is we're all cyclists. So we're not 
ambulance chasers. You know, we have got a, ta- a tan, a nice healthy glow from riding outside. We're not opportunistic in saying ride indoors because it's dangerous outside. We, we're, we all love cycling. And what, what our company does, it just offers up greater access around riding a bike. And riding a bike is the places you go, the adventures, the people you meet. And you can do that at home. You don't have to go outside. And if it means you ride more because you're riding inside, but you still go outside, everyone's a winner, aren't they? You know, so broadbands everywhere, computers are everywhere, bikes are everywhere, turbo trainers aren't expensive. So hopefully we're, we're, we're on to a winner. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's quite a thing. I was just having this conversation today with one of the people I work with about commuting into work and I was just telling her like, when I commute by bicycle, I can't at the moment because I'm just too busy, but um, when I commute by bicycle, I just, I just have a better day at work. I really yeah. do. Because I get there and I'm super awake. Cause, you know, I get there at five in the morning. Yeah. And when I come home, whatever malarkey that was going on in my brain mostly found its way out by the time I walk in the door. So I'm yeah. not a punish to the people I live with. It's really handy. It does work. I mean, you can't really run to work, but running's a, a, a really good example of you you kind of you're out there you haven't got your phone you're you're at one with your thoughts and then if you get a bit of a sweat on you clear your mind and yeah that's why commuting's so popular it's just a shame now that if you if you go to like uh, Amsterdam or Copenhagen oh, man. people commute in suits on sit up and beg bikes and it's fantastic people in london they put lycra on and they think they're superheroes and everybody's in a race and like people really need to calm down because, yeah. um, I mean, how ironic is it that like 80% of the cyclists own a car, but you, but you put someone in a car and then someone on a bike and they're like rutting stags. And like, uh, Australia is no different to the UK. Oh I mean, God. people really need to calm down. Uh, in Brisbane, uh, twice a day, twice a day, I would think I could have just died. Yeah. <laughs> But they're both, they're both as bad as each other. You know, I've got friends who yeah. I often pick up because they're cycling after cars for cutting them up and some cars don't even know they're cutting them up and it, it just leads to aggravation. Yeah. And it kind of needs to go back to, you know, you, you, I think you grew up in the UK as a kid and I did and I, I remember those like public service broadcast announcements like but often late at night and it might be around crossing the road mm. or, you know, being careful around horses when you ride. We need something like that for s- cyclists and motorists, which Without, is sort yeah. of like calm the... F- oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because it's the psychology behind motorist rage towards cyclists is... I'm fascinated by it because you're so dehumanised when you're on a bike. You're not someone's brother or son or husband or fiancé or dad. You're a thing between me and where I want to go. And how mm. dare you not go fast? Yeah. Or how dare you make me alter my course so I don't kill you? Mm. Yeah, it, it, it completely blows my mind. But n- nothing f***s me off more than watching a cyclist run a red light. Yeah. I'm all ride without lights at night. I'm like, it's because of you that angry people yell at me when I ride. Yeah. <laughs> I think Sydney's just really lacking like a... I might be wrong here, but... Uh, uh, some kind of mayoral function, government function that really champions um, cycling. You know, you, in London, you've got the Boris, 
Boris Bikes, Boris Johnson. Yeah. You got Ride London, which is the first thing I did after I left Sky for the work for the Mayor's office, set up this Ride London. There's the London Marathon on wheels. I think we need something like that in Sydney. Yeah, it'd be um, good. Because uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit aggro. Yeah, it is. What's going to happen on Wednesday? What's happening? Oh, we- yeah, Wednesday. Okay, so Zwift's coming to um, Australia. And this, actually, this is really important. So we're kind of this ethereal, up-in-the-air internet brand. So we could, we could just like sit in our offices around the world, but we like to get around the world. And like Australia... This is counterintuitive, but Australia love indoor cycling. Now, I think it's a lot to do with it's quite dark now, early evening and dark in the mornings. And there's a real culture of riding early in the morning. There's loads of competitive people and there's lots of racing going on on Zwift. And uh, there's loads of triathletes and they just love that controlled environment. So, yeah, lo and behold, actually, if you look on Google search data around Zwift, the three most highly indexing cities in the world are Melbourne first, Sydney second, and Brisbane third. I was in Brisbane this morning. It was 20 degrees at half past five in the morning Fantastic. in autumn. That's my but God. it's the third biggest city in terms of like bang for buck. So we're here to say, you know, it's the other, 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 other side of the world for us. And it's, it's a great, it's a brilliant country full of people who love cycling. And I think the thing that always, the reason why there's so many Aussies in the UK is they see, feel so far removed. And I think that's one of the great things about our platform is it enables them to engage with the, a worldwide, mm. uh, you know, bunch of cyclists. So we're, we're coming to do some events in Sydney and, and, and Melbourne just to kind of, you know, put some wind in the sails as it's autumn because this is like, this is sort of like where we start growing in the Southern Hemisphere. And coming it, into the winter season yeah. where less people are riding outside. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Quite, and it's quite, it's, it's not unnerving, but at the minute we're like, uh, you know, we're kind of wondering if the roof's going to cave in because in the Northern Hemisphere it's getting warm. And like, we're a non-contract subscription business. We Honestly, we don't want to tie people down into contracts and yeah. deliberately low cost. But if they all left, you know, it'd be like pretty serious. But thankfully they're all, they're, they're all staying so far, touch wood. Yeah, and so like we what we want to start growing now in 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 Australia. So that's why we're, we're here this week, and we're at Rafa. And the, yeah, again, one of the things about Zwift is we've become this media indi- media channel to the bike industry. So we put the the Rafa brand in Zwift. It, it puts their brand right into the noses of participant cyclists the world over. And we don't say we want you. We want to charge you for that. We'd say, look, it's a part. It's a. It's like one hundred and one marketing. Yeah, the logos and stuff inside the game. Yeah, it gives yeah. us some kudos. Fascinating. We go to Sydney. So you don't mind if we buy the Rafa Cafe? Like, yeah, fill your boots. Canyon, who are a bike brand from Europe, who just come over to to Australia. They're going to supply our bikes. Wahoo Fitness have got this thing called the Kicker. You use. They're going to give us all the all the all the trainers. So we we, we can put events together. Mm. Uh, really well and in Melbourne we're going to do this event with the Melbourne Cycling League who are like a fairly cool event organiser like they did an, they did a cycle race in their multi-storey car park the other day and we want we want to do things that are fresh and innovative and if we develop racing on Zwift that's the kind of reference point you know mm. we want to so we, we just want to do some stuff with a in Melbourne because that to me Melbourne's like the epicentre of cycling oh, in man. the world right it's so extraordinary it's uh it informs cycling culture the world over. Really? So, yeah, I think so. So the thing about cycling in London is there's lots of Aussies and they, but it's almost like through osmosis, like an Australian's been in London, that Brits 
uh, become better cyclists. So it starts with things like, you know, the Aussies coined the phrase pro kit wankers. Like, why do you ride, why do you ride a pro kit? That's what wankers do. So you should, you know, you should have your club kit and you should all be all turned out. And lo and behold, five, five years further down the line, that's happening in London. You know, in London, you've got so many people go out to middle-aged men in Lycra who have always been really fit but never ridden. And they suddenly start riding. They've got no idea how to ride three across the road. Yeah. You know, so all the Aussies in London, it's like, no, two abreast, really drilled, calling people out. And... Yeah, all the all the latest really cool cycling clothing brands are coming out of Australia. Obviously, there's there's you've got your own World Tour team now, but you know we're 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 about the enthusiast cyclists and the racers. And in 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 Melbourne, there's a crit going on every night of the week, mm. like a race. Yeah, there is. So yeah, to me, Melbourne is like the if you distill it right down, Melbourne to me is the epicenter of uh, enthusiast cyclists. So as much as we like to say in the UK, like we invented everything. <laughs> yeah, we probably did invent cycling, you know, but uh, um, just kidding. But yeah, Melbourne is uh, All right, final, the, final the place question. to go. Uh, final question. Uh, when, when do we get voice chat? <laughs> or are you ever going to do it? Um, yeah, I think this is a good question. So... So when people all around the world ride, ride together, we've got this, we've got a text function within Zwift, but that's fairly clunky when you, you know, you've got doing 180 beats per minute and you, and so on, and, and you're trying to reach and text. So the, my answer would be, well, you've got to swim with the tide on these things. So do people want it? Yes. But is there functionality out there that already does it? And there is. And we came across this app called Discord, another startup. Uh, two weeks ago, you should check it out. So you can create your own channel. And we did this five-man time trial on Zwift. I was in London, in South London. There's another guy in North London. There's one of our data guys in Rio. There's a guy called Mike in San Francisco, a guy called Charlie in New York. And then we had our DS, our coach, our director sportif in Los Angeles. And we rode a five-man time trial. with Just in the way you would outside, you've got to keep together because you're mm. trying to draft, talking together using an app called Discord. And the, the recency or the latency was just, it was just there. So as you were talking, so, so we're just thinking like, to what extent do we really need to do this ourselves? Mm. And every time you do develop a product, like that would be, it's the opportunity cost is them not doing something else. That might be develop. We don't develop a course for instance. Mm. Um, so no, I'd um, rather another course before I got, um, yeah. Voice chat. And there'd be some good stuff. We announced ride London, the ride London course, Last week, and we'll begin to gamify courses in a way that you probably wouldn't expect. So we did the World Championship course of Richmond, which was like for like last year. And that was really about saying, look, Zwift are partnering the World Championships and like building credibility. But when we do Ride London, it'll be probably a bit more like the, how, how Disneyland would do Ride London, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I did like the idea of riding exactly that, like riding a course on the other side of the world. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. The idea that I'm, if I were to go there on my own bicycle, this is what it would feel like. That blew my yeah. mind. That I had the opportunity to ride at a place that otherwise I would never get a chance to ride with that traffic. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be doing more real world courses. I don't think we're going to like be building like 20K climbs because then you're back to like real vacuous environments where it's just you on your own for ages. And mm. the great thing about Zwift is having a shorter course with lots of people on. So if mm. you feel you're amongst this big, thriving social environment. But I'm going to go see the Tour Down Under next Monday in Adelaide. 
And I think it, it's quite likely we might do something with them. So just as it's great for people in Australia, they can ride all these... To, people in Australia think Europe's exotic. People in Europe think Australia's exotic. So I'd, I'd really like to be riding up Corkscrew Hill, through McLaren Vale, by the beach in Glenelg, in January when the Tour Down Under's on. So, yeah. you know... You just got to make your garage 45 degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so hot. Turn the fan off. <laughs> Pretty much. Mate, I better let you go. Thank you so much. This has been rad. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks heaps, man. Thanks. I'm just going to quickly take your photo, okay? Yeah. Sweet. Clubs. Thanks, man. Okay, folks, that was Steve Beckett. How good is the new outro music? Thanks again to Toe Hider. Mike, thank you very much, Mike. I love you, man. You're a great musician. And... uh Tohider.com if you want to download some of his records. Um, thanks to everybody that listened today. If you do end up going for a bike ride, uh, send me a photo. Thanks to everybody that sent me photos of where they were listening to the show this week. That was awesome. We had buses in LA. We had trail running around Phillip Island. That was freaking amazing. So wherever you're listening to this show, I'd love to see where you are right now. That'd be killer. Just ping me on Instagram or Twitter. Hey, um, thanks so much for listening to the show. I certainly hope you get on and go out and ride a bike because life is better when you ride a bike. It really, really is. And uh, if you're racing in either of those two events that I mentioned at the start of the show, let me know and I'll look out for you and maybe we can train together because we all got to go out and do the miles, man. So may as well do it with someone else. Um, until I see you next week, have a wonderful week. Um, thanks again so much to everybody on Patreon that helps the show come to air each week. Patreon.com slash Osher. If you want to support, you can listen to exclusive episodes that no one else hears if you do. Uh, come on board for as little as five bucks a month. Um, until I talk to you next week, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>